We are in Matthew 22, 22nd chapter of Matthew, beginning in verse 15. This is God's Word. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then... At the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, 
calls him Lord. For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Don't forget the timeline. Palm Sunday's already happened. Good Friday is coming. Jesus is going to be arrested and tortured and killed in just a matter of days. And he knows it. Meanwhile, his enemies, who are numerous, are out to get him. They're looking for an excuse. They're looking for an opportunity. And so, foolishly, they come with a bunch of questions for Jesus. It's How many of you have ever watched those professional wrestling matches on television? Okay. Uh, I didn't say how many of you are fans. How many of you have seen them? My next-door neighbor, when I was growing up in elementary school in Charlotte, North Carolina, really believed that stuff was real. Now, there is some real athleticism involved. I mean, you know, to jump around like that, and, uh, you know, that, that burns calories. But, um, and, and we've had one of those uh, professional wrestlers come and, and visit us here, if you, some of you remember that. Um, very famous one, who's now the mayor of Knox County. And, uh, I mean, smart guy um, and, and, uh, and good politician. But um, if you've ever watched those, the ones that are the most entertaining, and I'm not a big fan, I can't even tell you who the various players are, but the most entertaining are the tag team matches. Okay? Because... Part of the script every time is, is cheating, okay? It's for the two of them to gang up on somebody. And for some reason, the other person is incapacitated. The ref is always looking over, talking to them, while these two are beating up on this one. And, of course, it's all unfair, and the people in the stands are going wild because it's injustice. and <clears throat> it's, it's pretty hilarious. Well, this was only fake in the sense that these people were faking when they said nice things to Jesus. Okay? They, they come with flattery, but they're trying to trap him. And Jesus sees right through it. And so the first ones who come are two groups that hate each other. The Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, the Pharisees were very nationalistic. They were theologically conservative and politically conservative in the sense that they loved the nation Israel and they hated Roman oppression. And the Herodians, on the other hand, were fans of Herod, who was the Roman puppet king. So you've got these two groups that didn't get along at all, 
and they come with the perfect question for Jesus where one of them should be able to go away and say, that man is a traitor. When they ask Jesus about paying taxes, if he says, oh yes, I certainly think we ought to support the government, we need to pay taxes, then he has just offended all the followers of the Pharisees, they can go out and say, that man is a traitor to Israel. He supports the Roman government. This is absolutely wrong. And alienate a big chunk of people from Jesus. But if he says, no, the Roman government is illegitimate and we shouldn't have to pay taxes to them, then the Herodians can go to the Roman government and say, this guy is telling people not to pay taxes. So either way, whatever he says, one of them is going to have something on him. And they can use it against him. Didn't work out for them. They came and they said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Now, these are people who have no integrity. okay? But they're praising integrity as if it's a good thing. Does Jesus have integrity? Absolutely. He is the truth, in fact. But we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. So I trust you're completely overlooking the fact that we're a mixture of Herodians and Pharisees standing before you. You're just not going to pay any attention to that. You're just going to tell us the truth, aren't you? Tell us, then. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus said, well, um, boy, that's a tough one. If I say this, this group's going to have me. If I say this, this group's going to have me. Um, Boy, I don't know. Can I get back to you on that one? No. Jesus says, you hypocrites. He sees right through what's going on. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used to pay the tax. So they brought him a denarius. Who's who's got, uh, anybody got a denarius here? Okay, thank you. Here you go. And Jesus asked them another question. Whose, uh, Whose picture is this on the coin? Whose portrait? And whose inscription? They said, well, Caesar's. Jesus hands him back a coin. He says, okay, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. Let us make man in our image, God said. And all the Pharisees had it memorized. And the Herodians We're probably very familiar with it, too. One of the problems we have in our culture today is the failure to recognize that man is made by God in his image and likeness. And that affects how people treat each other. It is why there's even a question about abortion. 
It's why people think that they ought to be able to change their gender. It is at the root of the so-called race issue, where some people think that other people, because they look different, are evil or superior or whatever. It's at the root of problems between men and women. It has to do with how we view each other. Jesus reminds them people are made in God's image and therefore people need to give to God their lives. You are made in the image of God. So I I don't really like my looks. Oh, if only you knew. It goes so much deeper than that. You have God's stamp on you. You were designed by him, knit together in your mother's womb. God has a plan for your life, and you need to respond by yielding your life to him. So that person's an idiot. Well, that person's ugly. You need to see people as made in the likeness of God and therefore worthy of respect. People should be treated well by you. Not because you're trying to get an advantage by treating them well, but because you want to honor their creator. The rich and the poor, Proverbs says, have this in common. God is the one who made both. You and I need to treat people well, regardless of their intellectual ability, their physical attractiveness to us, and whether or not they behave as they should. That doesn't mean that we approve of sinful behavior. It means that we recognize that Jesus died for sinners. And we don't damn people as if we're God. We cry out to God on their behalf. And as the New Testament says, we are his ambassadors pleading with people to be reconciled to him. We don't behave as if everybody's already reconciled. We don't fail to call sin, sin. Jesus didn't say to these, well, guys, thanks for the compliments. I really appreciate it. He said, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? But Jesus reminded them, give to God what is God's. And if you want to know what is God's, look where his image is. You and I are made in his image. So when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Tag team, here come the Sadducees. Okay. All right, guys, we'll get it. All right. You know, because they'd already been conspiring. They were already trying to figure out how they could get rid of him. They wanted to come up with a basis to have him arrested. I mean, they're working on this. They want him dead. Sadducees come in. 
Now, these were the guys who were essentially seminary educated. The Pharisees were lay people. The Sadducees were professional religionists. They weren't just full-time hobbyists, okay? And they, having been educated beyond their intelligence, did not believe what Scripture says. They had been taught... Uh, it's not really. It's not really literally true. I mean, there's there's no such thing as angels. Uh, there is no resurrection. Uh, there's no literal devil. Uh, the miracles. It's all. It's all make believe. Okay. You know. You just you learn moral lessons from the scriptures. The demons that controlled them are still controlling lots of seminaries and lots of pulpits and publishing houses and broadcasts. Because the devil doesn't have to change his tactic. And so the Sadducees said there is no resurrection of the dead. That was one of their chief divides from the Pharisees. And of course, the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee before his conversion, but a very well-educated Pharisee, used that issue to drive a wedge between the folks who were trying to kill him. Because again, the Pharisees and Sadducees were united in trying to get rid of Paul. And so he says, I'm on trial here because of my confidence in the resurrection. Which was true in the sense that Jesus is the resurrection. And Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead. So I thought Lazarus got raised from the dead first. No, no, no. He was resuscitated. He got to come back. Jesus conquered death. And when we are resurrected, we're going to be like Jesus. Okay? We're never going to die again. So Lazarus died a second time. Jesus, he lives and reigns forever. And one day, we will be like him. All who are in Christ are going to be victorious over death, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. As Jesus kicks down the gates from the inside, death cannot hold us. Hallelujah. We're not trying to break into hell. (laughs) We've been set free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, the Sadducees show up. The Sadducees, verse 23, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Some of you, that may not have clicked before, okay? That really is what the Old Testament said. That wasn't something you could do. That was something you must do. And if you failed to do that, it was scandalous, okay? You would be publicly shamed if you refused to raise up a child, an heir, for your deceased brother. You were to take in his widow and make her your wife for the purpose of having children. One of Judah's sons... Ur, 
refused, or I'm sorry, he was killed by God because he was a wicked man. And his brother Onan was now given the responsibility of giving his widow a child who would be Ur's heir. And instead, he simply went and had relations with her, but behaved in such a way as to prevent her from being able to conceive. So he's getting pleasure, and she's getting no children. So God killed him. Apparently, God takes a dim view of people who don't do what they're supposed to do. But... In this passage, these guys have a great, really, (laughs) I just love this story. (laughs) We're going to get him on this one, okay? We're going to get him. Um, Moses told us if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. You know, we're asking for a friend. There were seven brothers among us. Uh, The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother. (laughs) Right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? There's no answer to this. I love it. You know, we do this to the Pharisees all the time. When we're sitting around, we, we tell them this story, and they're just really embarrassed because, you know, it's a real, it's a real perplexing problem. What, what, you know, what are you going to say? Well, Jesus was not perplexed. You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Do you know why theological liberals are in error? Because they do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That's the problem. People who don't believe the Bible don't know the Bible. I've had so many conversations with people who tried to tell me that they didn't believe the Bible because it's full of errors. And I say, okay, let's look at some. And they're stumped. A college president that I know suggested one. And I said, let's look at it together. And we did real quickly, and he realized, okay, I see, that's not really an error. I said, is there another? Uh, Well, no, that was the one that came to mind. Well, that was probably the one that he got in a sophomore comparative religion class. I'm just telling you, the people who say the Bible is full of errors don't know the Bible. Are there things in the Bible that are hard to understand? Are there things in the Bible that are challenging to harmonize? Definitely. That doesn't mean the Bible's wrong. It means that we have limited understanding. And I've been delighted over the years at how many of those things, as I've continued to spend time with God in His Word, it's been like, oh, okay, I got it. Thank you, Lord. Let me just tell you, The people who don't believe it, it's because they don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, Jesus said, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven, which tells us something about the angels. My parents loved each other so dearly, and my father was 
often saying, he wrote poems and all, and he was often saying sweet things to my mom about, you know, walking the streets of gold hand in hand with her and so forth. Well, it doesn't say you can't hold hands in heaven, but you're not going to be husband and wife. You're not going to be husband and wife. You're not going to be husband and wife. For some people, that's a disappointment. For others, it's a huge relief. Okay? But, but whether you like it or not, it's not up to you. It's not as if we get to heaven and God says, okay, listen, before we go any further, I just need to know, do you two want to stay together? No, you're not husband and wife. Our love for our spouse in heaven will not be less, it will be more. It will be perfect. It will be better than anything we knew on earth. But our relationships here will be not just transformed, but superseded by our relationship with one another and with the Lord. Because guess what? I try to be a manly man, but in heaven I get to be the bride. Is that clear? I don't know that I like that. You want to go to hell? Oh, no, not really. Okay, well, good. Get over it. Start believing the truth. Okay? We who are in Christ are the bride. And hallelujah, it's a beautiful plan. That doesn't mean that we have to be feminine in our behavior down here. I'm just practicing for when I get to heaven. No, uh-uh, no. That's, that's, not, that's not what it teaches. But, Jesus said, we'll be like the angels. By the way, the angels did some really impressive stuff as warriors in the scripture. You don't want to mess with an angel. If somebody can kill 186,000 people in, in one night, I want to be like an angel. (laughs) All right. Um, But about the resurrection, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And everybody was like, wow. They were astonished at his teaching. And so again, another group that came to trip Jesus up slinks away in disgrace and dismay. Now, Jesus wasn't making friends with these guys when this is going on. Jesus knows, again, he knows they're going to kill him in just a matter of a couple of days. But Jesus is still proclaiming the truth. And you and I are still learning from it. Millennia later. So hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. The Pharisees got together. Again, this is the tag team thing, see? You know, as the Pharisees blew it, so here come the Sadducees. They blow it. So now the Pharisees are, okay, we're up. We'll, we'll get in there. And they choose their champion. This guy is so sharp. One of them, an expert in the law. Because Jesus had said, your problem is you don't know the Scriptures. Just like, okay, buddy, you know the scriptures. You go take him on. So one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus didn't say, oh gosh, there are so many. Jesus is the one who embodies the law. 
He fulfills the law. And so Jesus responds saying, you love God with everything you are, and you love your neighbor as the second. Everything in the scriptures hinges on these two. You see, if you commit adultery, you're not loving your neighbor. If you steal and lie and murder, you're not loving your neighbor. And if you have idols in your life and you fail to do what God says, you are not loving God with all that you are. All the law hinges on love for God and love for neighbor. Well, having answered their question, nobody could refute what he said. Jesus said, I've got one for you. Just a question. Whose son is the Messiah? David. Well, that's the orthodox answer, and it's correct. But there's something about Messiah that they have not really recognized. And again, it's because they don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Even the Pharisees had not seen this. Jesus says, he didn't say, no, no, he's not David's son. He says, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, don't overlook that phrase, that is the doctrine of scripture. The psalmist is being moved by the Spirit. He's inspired by God. How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? It's not that he's not David's son, it's that he isn't just David's son. He's David's Lord. They are standing face to face before the Lord of glory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. Why? Because the natural human heart is hostile toward God. And it's not just them, it's all of us apart from God's grace. The only way anybody gets saved is by grace. God doesn't say, well, let's say, everybody has messed up. I'm going to have to grade on the curve. That's not how it works. God doesn't say, okay, well, I gave 10 really special commandments. If you don't break more than three, you can still pass. We're saved by grace through faith. We have to come to the point where we realize, woe is me, I am undone. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when we realize we have no hope except God's mercy and grace, 
God is already displaying his mercy and grace in us because he's the one that leads us to repentance. And so, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Well, boy, that had to be a relief, didn't it, for Jesus? No, he knows they're going to kill him. They couldn't stump him. They couldn't trap him with questions. They, we're going to have to come up with another plan. Well, they did, and Judas helped. But after it's all said and done, it turns out it's exactly what the Scripture said would happen. And when Jesus conquers death, and his disciples are amazed, although he told them that's what was going to happen, he says, you're so slow to believe the Scriptures. Why do we keep studying the Bible? We're always going back, this is the word of the Lord. Because this is the word of the Lord. That's why. That's why it's essential that we have our minds renewed with God's word. Because the renewal of our minds will lead to the transformation of our lives. And that gives us the opportunity to demonstrate that God's will for our lives is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, thank you so much for loving us, for the amazing grace that you have shown to us, for the fact that in Christ Jesus, we do not have anything that we have to be afraid of. Thank you that we can trust you completely because those who fear the Lord don't have to fear anything. Help us to believe your truth and not the lies of the enemy. Banish the spirit of fear from our lives and grant that we would walk with confidence in you, rejoicing as we obey your word. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, do we have anybody?